Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. And today we have a very special episode. Uh, we have as guest Congressman Tom O'Halloran, along with forest ecologist for the Nature Conservancy, Travis Woolley. Today we're going to be talking about managing our forests here in Arizona for resiliency, resiliency in a changing, drying climate. Um, you know, this is a pertinent, pertinent topic right now, as, as we've seen unprecedented fires uh, throughout northern Arizona. They're coming earlier and earlier. And, you know, I live up here. This is important to me. I'd like to keep my home for a while. So please stick around for this very important and very poignant topic. Um, it's a good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, before we get into that, though, let's uh, let's do some announcements. Arizona Wildlife Federation has a lot of going ons right now. After six years as president, Brad Powell has passed along the gavel to Glenn Dickens, who will be holding the position for at least the next five years. Uh, we are grateful that Brad will remain on the board, and we look forward to his continued wisdom and guidance. At the same time, we look forward to Glenn's leadership and passion as our new president. Glenn has been on the board of directors since 2010, and will be ushering AWF into the next century of conservation leadership as we celebrate our centennial in 2023. Absolutely no question, Brad is leaving some huge shoes to fill. With that said, Glenn is probably the most passionate and hardest working conservationist I know. So if anybody can fill those shoes, it's him. I'm really looking forward to what the years, years have to come now. Let's see. Also, uh, Arizona Wildlife Federation, we just had our annual meeting. And at this annual meeting, we presented awards to some deserving folks in conservation organizations. Let's see, those awards went to Conservation Organization Partner of the Year, which is Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Agency Partner of the Year, Roger Juice, Individual Conservation Partner of the Year, Nate Reese, Emerging Conservationist of the Year, Juan Riviera, Volunteer of the Year, Aaron Dye, and Patty Ho Lifetime Achievement Award went to Valerie Morell. Now, I could I could take up a whole episode telling you about these wonderful people and how great they are and how deserving they are of these awards, but quite honestly, we just don't have time for all that. So please, if you run into these folks in the field, shake their hand, tell them thank you, and give them a congratulations. The Arizona Mule Deer Organization. Let's see. They have a water catchment repair scheduled for July 16th at 8 a.m. This is north of Paulden uh, in Region 3. This is a Forest Service wildlife water catchment that the wind has blown the northeast side up and folded it over. We will be reconstructing that portion plus anchoring all of it to the ground to prevent this from happening again. We will be meeting at Depot 89 store north of Chino on Highway 89 at 8 a.m., then driving to the project site. Lunch and beverages are going to be provided for all volunteers. Gloves, hammer, screw gun is all that would be needed. All other materials and tools will be provided. And I will have a contact for more information uh, on the uh, in the show notes. So look for that. Um, then from the Arizona, Dig Big Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society. Let's see, all individuals that were lucky enough to draw a bighorn sheep tag this year, that was not me, um, are encouraged to attend this hunter's clinic. Um, this year's bighorn sheep hunter's clinic will be October 1st, starting at 7 a.m. Our Ram Recognition Banquet starts at 6 p.m. with dinner planned for 7 p.m. The banquet is set up to confirm officers for next year and to celebrate the successful bighorn sheep hunts that took place last year. This is going to be held at the Embassy Suites in Scottsdale. So mentioning that, um, yeah, I, I hope your your cards got hit. Um, you know, as of recording, I don't know what tags have come in yet, but uh, I noticed I have two charges on my card for my wife and I for deer tags. So I'm very excited about that. Maybe someday I'll see a charge on there for a bighorn sheep tag. But not yet. So good luck with that. I, I hope you all got what you wanted and uh, you got an exciting uh, fall to look forward to. So enjoy this episode with Congressman Tom O'Halloran and Travis Woolley. It is important. And uh, yeah, I'll see you after the show. Thanks.
I am sitting here today with Travis Woolley, a forest ecologist for the Nature Conservancy, and Congressman Tom O'Halloran. Let's start with some introductions, gentlemen. If we could, uh, we'll start with you, Travis. Um, just kind of tell me who you are, how you ended up in your, your professional career here, and, uh, and a little bit about what you enjoy in the outdoors. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, I am, as you said, the forest ecologist for the Nature Conservancy here in Arizona. Um, I'm also the Region 2 Director and Vice President for Conservation there. Arizona Wildlife Federation here, here. and uh, I, I kind of got into what I, I do for a living um, grew up in the Pacific Northwest around some really beautiful amazing forests and and doing outdoor stuff with my family fishing hunting hiking camping and <clears throat> decided to go to college to to study forests and did that for about seven or eight years got a master's degree um, and then was looking for opportunities to do more than just uh, academic science and and found the Nature Conservancy is the right place to do that and uh, moved here to Flagstaff about uh, nine years ago and started working for the, the Nature Conservancy here, really uh, helping the Forest Service and partners and stakeholders work on forest restoration issues. And so I love to do anything in the outdoors, backpack, fish, swim, paddleboard, hunt, um, you name it, I try to do it. I uh, love living in Flagstaff near snow in the winter so I can ski and, and get out and, and do things like that, snowboard. So yeah, those awesome. are kind of the things I like to do in the outdoors. Thanks, Travis, and thanks for being here. All right, Congressman, your turn. Tell my turn. I love my turn. I, I uh, you know, I, I got involved as a young age, uh, urban guy, but uh, spent my summers up in uh, Wisconsin and uh, by the lake and uh, really enjoyed. I'm, I'm, I immersed myself in water all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, loved doing anything associated with it, whether it was boating or fishing or whatever. I, I just loved doing that. Uh, camping, Boy Scout stuff. Uh, and uh, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, and then, and then um, you know, got in, got into high school and kept up the regiment and camping and stuff. Uh, finally, uh, you know, ended up uh, with the professional careers and ended up out here in beautiful Arizona because I had always dreamed about living here. Yeah. And uh, when uh, we got out here, my wife and I, uh, we, we live out in the village of Oak Creek, uh, near Sedona and uh, the Red Rock State Park. In fact, you have to take a Forest Service road to get to us. Mm -hmm. So it's a very comfortable environment, beautiful environment. And uh, I got involved in politics probably 2000, right around 2000. Got in the legislature for about eight years and I chaired the Natural Resource Committee there in the legislature. But most importantly, I think uh, what really got me uh, understanding Arizona's uh, wildlife and and, and uh, uh, the whole process of water in, in this state is uh, when I got involved in the Forest Health Oversight Committee. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the governor put me in as a co-chair and spent three and a half years doing that uh, while I was in the legislature also. And that just immersed me in, into uh, learning the, the, the issues relating to uh, whether it's climate change or anything else. But the joy of going out into the forest on a continual basis to see those issues. And uh, where I live, I, I can walk out my door and, and hike a lot right mm -hmm. into the National Forest. And we had horses. So um, just uh, saddle up and head on out and, or get in the trailer and come up here to Flagstaff area and enjoy the forest here or anywhere else in Arizona. And it's just a, a great adventure. Awesome. Yeah, Arizona, is a, it's, it's a fantastic place. Um, I mean, there's so much diversity of wildlife, habitats, uh, e ecoregions. Um, it, it's the, the, the opportunities to explore and play outdoors here are, are just absolutely limitless. Um, and I don't ever, ever grow tired of it myself. But all right. So quickly, Congressman, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw you a compliment. Um, and it's that I, I listen to a, a lot of uh, politicians in my work now. Mm -hmm. Um, and after a while you start to get a feel for, for who's who and, and how they come off. And, and I gotta tell you, when I hear you speak, I don't feel like you have an agenda. I feel like you're being a genuine 
human being. Um, and, and I feel like you're, you're thoughtful. Uh, and, and when, when you talk about things you care about, it, it comes across as genuine. So I just want to throw that out there. It is something that I appreciate and I don't see enough of. So, so thank you for that. Well, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. All right. All right. So let's jump into this thing. Today we are talking about, uh, managing Arizona's forests for resiliency in a changing climate. Um, we're not here to convince anyone of a changing climate. The science is out on that. And quite frankly, I'm tired of trying to convince people. It's out there for you. To, everybody can see it now, you know, and we're experiencing this in real time now. Um, and it's particularly important to me because I've, I've bought uh, my first home up here in these forests and, you know, they're burning. They're burning more than they should. I mean, I realize these forests are supposed to burn. It's part of their evolution and ecology, but not the way they are now. So with that... Um, Let's jump into this. Uh, I'm going to start here, and, and I'll go ahead and tell folks this is pretty scripted. I got a list of questions here, so if it sounds like I'm reading off questions, that's because I am, and <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to fake it well. So, all right, so let's start off here, uh, and this is for you, Congressman. Uh, let's see, we recently did a field trip together, so I know this topic is important to you, but so are a lot of other things like COVID economy, education, et cetera. Where do you see forest health and climate rank on that list of priorities? Well, you know, we have a lot of priorities in this country. It's a big country. But uh, as you look into the future, uh, first of all, I, I look backwards and, and say, you know, if only we could have gotten a better start uh, on climate change issues. But we're, we're where we're at now, and we have to move forward with the recognition uh, that uh, it's real, uh, that we have to understand the complexity of it. It's not just about weather. It's not just about water or, or just the forest. It's about the culmination of all of those coming together and realizing that, that uh, you cannot do just one piece of that and say we've, we're solving the problem. Mm -hmm. You have to do a multitude of, of issues, and it, it doesn't just begin with uh, uh, getting the forest in a, a decent management condition because you still have – that helps with the water. It, it helps with the uh, uh, carbon uh, sequestration. Mm -hmm. But it, 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 we have the weather coming from all around the world at us. Yeah. And, and the realistic issue is uh, when we see these fires recently, uh, whether it's the pipeline fire or the, or the uh, tunnel fire or some of the fires we've been to over the last six years, uh, I've seen a direct correlation of the intensity of these fires mm -hmm. versus, say, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, in Arizona, we used to have fires that were uh, 25,000 acres, and that was a big fire. Yeah, and all of a sudden, Rodeo Chetuskai occurred, and uh, then you have five hundred thousand acres, and now you can chew up twenty five thousand acres in, in an evening, and and that's what happened with pipeline. I yeah. mean, you, you didn't realize it because there was so much smoke, and but the, the the climate has a direct impact on on that whole process, and that was a weather event because of the winds and everything, mm -hmm. but climate had been drying out that forest for quite some time. Right. And uh, and it's it's having an impact worldwide. And the sooner we can find some solutions, the better off we are. And we're trying to do that today. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, all right. So so we there's no question we our forests are not what they need to be now. We, we have interfered and we have kind of created a monster in a sense. Travis, can you kind of paint us a picture of how our forests are, are damaged, how they're not functioning correctly, and, and how did we get to this place? Yeah, I'd like to, to use the term kind of a wicked problem is what we find ourselves in. Um, you know, the situation we have really stems from, you know, a century or more of fire suppression starting in the late 1800s with cattle grazing, sheep grazing, other grazing activities that really kind of removed the fuels and didn't allow that that frequent fire that you kind of mentioned that's part of the ecology of these forests. So prior to Euro-American settlement, you know, the dry forests here were very open and experienced an extremely frequent fire regime. And so anywhere from two to eight years, um, any given piece of ground would see fire. Um, so that, that that's a lot of fire in the landscape. Um, and really what that did was keep those forests really open, uh, dominated by really large trees that were very resistant to things like insects, disease, drought and fire as well. And so um, over the last century, we've also done a lot of harvesting and other management activities and the regrowth that followed that. We're really now are, are 
or sitting in a situation where we have forests that are 10 to 100 times denser than what we see, what we would have seen historically if we would have walked through these forests 150 years ago. Um, and the trees that we have now are small relative to what we'd have seen historically. As I said, they're much denser um, and they're really not valuable from a um, economic forest management perspective from industry. And so really, you know, these small trees um, combined with, you know, experiencing the much drier climate um, that continues to get warmer and drier as we move into the future. And we're kind of experiencing that, as you said, right now, really brings a lot of forest health issues. Um, it turns out that pine trees are much more resilient to things like uh, insects, resistant to insects and disease and drought when they experience that frequent fire. So yeah. ponderosa pines really evolved to, to have that ability to have that fire kind of make them resistant and resilient to these different disturbances. Um, and, you know, really the inability in the, to really solve this issue and the scale that we see uh, across, you know, in Arizona, the 2.4 million acres, a dry forest type that we have, really sets the stage for these really large wildfires that the congressman mentioned. And, and really we're seeing those get more frequent and bigger and yeah, we're chewing up 20,000 acres pretty easily and yeah. in an afternoon or a couple of days and, and what we've seen in New Mexico this year. And it just seems like across the West, we're kind of taking turns, each state's getting theirs every year, or every few years. And so um, really we just have this issue that's a really large scale and we need to tackle the problem, um, you know, with a pace that's gonna get ahead of the problem. And with that investment, valuable um, small diameter tree material we really have, you know, again, a wicked problem. We have a lot of dense forest and not a lot of ways to deal with it. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of the, the problem and the stage that we've set for ourselves. Thanks, Travis. Um, so I guess this could go to, to either of you. Um, what are some some management practices to get on top of this thing? I mean, what, what are we employing here to, to get our forest back to a healthy state? Well, from my perspective, I, I think that uh, it's a, the resources that are now being recognized by Congress after years and years of not paying attention, mm -hmm. especially in the West. Uh, you know, we just have a different regimen than the East Coast. The East Coast happens to have uh, a lot of forests, but they have a lot of rain. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't. And we have a, a, a classic process going on where uh, the Colorado River is not what it used to be. Uh, our streams and creeks and springs over the decades have started to dry up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, that has a profound impact on the health of the forest. And as soon as we, in the last few years, what we saw with California and whole communities burning up uh, and uh, civilians uh, dying mm -hmm. and uh, the entire economies of, of regional areas having an impact, uh, that's gotten people even in the east uh, associated with, oh, that's a bad problem out yeah. there. Before a lot of this, there wasn't that much of a, a, a thought process of, well, they have a lot of forest out there. Uh, they'll contain it. They'll work at it. And now they they understand clearly, I think, because of all the conversations we have and the collaborative environment we've developed between the Western states and the Western congressional delegations that this is an issue that has to be resolved mm -hmm. and it's not it's not good for a multitude of our quality of life issues our wildlife issues that, that are out there that people enjoy so much the ec economic issues that relate directly to a healthy forest environment and and all in all the long-term implications of not doing this and seeing a valuable resource of the American people continuing to deteriorate versus the other alternative is managing it correctly, invest in its future, and being able to overcome uh, some of the mistakes of the past. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, you know, add from, you know, forest management perspective, it's, it's pretty simple. It's reducing tree densities and fuels. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a few tools in our toolbox to do that. Um, you know, thinning, thinning out some of those small trees, creating open space for that frequent fire to return. Um, and then using fire prescribed and, and even in some cases managed wildfire, because I think is, as the Congressman alluded to, we're not, 
we're not escaping fire anymore. It's, you mm -hmm. know, it's going to be here and it's going to be on in these forests and the forests across the West. Um, and we just need to prepare these forests to be able to be resistant and resilient to those processes that, you know, shape them for a long time. Um, and that has to occur across, across public and private lands. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of different land ownership in the West um, and they all tend to have fire and create fire and that fire moves across those landscapes pretty indiscriminately. So really need to work on that across private and, and public lands. And, you know, as, as we saw with the pipeline fire and the recent news and some of the uh, Forest Service teams that have went and visited it, um, where the areas were treated, the fire was pretty benign and actually did some good things. And where the forest wasn't treated, mm -hmm. it didn't. And it had some pretty poor outcomes. And so that's, that's you know, the science has shown that for decades now yeah. that when we do treatments, we see positive effects. And we just really need to get at scale to get ahead of that problem with those treatments. So. Okay. So, Congressman, uh, in light of Travis and talking about prescribed fire, I, I personally am a big fan of prescribed fire. Um, I worked back in Missouri for the Department of Natural Resources, and, and I worked on, on pretty much all aspects of, of uh, prescribed burns. Um, and I did it for enough years that I get to see the results. I, I saw these forests turn into these beautiful open savanna type. I saw native grasses come back. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan. With that said, though, you know, recently in New Mexico, there there have been some accidents, uh, a couple of prescribed fires that got out of control, came together and creating a, a huge catastrophic wildfire. In light of that, and, you know, that, that's not a criticism, but, but these things happen. How, how do we educate a populace to to understand the importance of this in light of, of issues like that, like uh, accidents like that, I should say? Well, because of the conditions that the forests have gotten into over time, mm -hmm. Uh, it's almost impossible not to to be able to get them back in a managed state. Mm -hmm. You you have to do it a, a way that's economically feasible, and to do it by mechanical means, all of it, it's yeah. it's just not economically feasible. So you have to have some level of of, of burn, uh, managed burn. But uh, on the other side, you have to be smart about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, in this, the dryness of the of these forests right now. Uh, the the winds that came up in New Mexico that uh, you know that it's hard to be prepared for 50 60 mile an hour winds yeah. um, we saw that pipeline fire I mean that I, it should have been almost called a tunnel two fire because it came through that pass uh, and and the power in it it was I've I've been to over 20 major fires so far and uh, this one really had a a life of its own and it's because uh, we haven't been able to keep up with uh, the changing forest uh, over time. But hopefully people will over, be o o able to overcome the smoke that's created by mm -hmm. even controlled burns. Yeah. Uh, they'll be able to understand that in the long term, that won't have to be repeated as often at that intensity level. And uh, that the mechanical process it just takes too long. And uh, it, it does have... a a severe impact over time also mm -hmm. with that, a lot of that mechanical equipment on that f forest land. So uh, I, I, I'm hopeful that uh, we will be able to get a model down that's much more, it doesn't cause a 400,000 acre fire mm -hmm. uh, or the Los Alamos fire that occurred a number of years ago where you know hundreds of homes were burnt down. But we're going to have, as you said earlier, we're gonna have fire anyway Mm -hmm. I'd rather have it under a controlled process where we can keep the heat down and, and the uh, uh, carbon release at a lower intensity and level uh, than a catastrophic fire that just burns everything that's stored up all of those years of carbon. And, and it, it just is devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so I, I guess that covers prescribed fire, but you know, there still has to be some mechanical removal. Mm -hmm. I guess we're not getting away from that. Um, so the four forest restoration initiative, it's, it's a huge undertaking and it's definitely seen some bumps in the road. Uh, can either of you explain, uh, what four is first off, and then some of the problems that that it's had and, uh, and what we can expect from it looking forward. Yeah, so Four Fry stands for the Four Forest Restoration Initiative, a collaborative uh, forest landscape restoration project that 
uh, was one of the first of many across the country that uh, started in 2010 when some uh, pretty key legislation passed that allowed the Forest Service to fund these collaborative projects to kind of get past the gridlock and bottleneck that we were seeing in terms of forest management and, and how we dealt with this problem that we were starting to see following the, the Rodeo Chetuskai fire that, that happened in the early 2000s, one of the first major fires across the West. And so Arizona really you know, had to start dealing with this sooner than everybody else and, and following the White Mountain Stewardship Project, which was the first 10-year stewardship program in eastern Arizona to do some thinning and, and restoration work, um, realized that, you know, we had a much bigger landscape to deal with and we really needed that collaborative effort. So that funding came and Four Fry as a large collaborative effort started in 2010. Um, the first uh, NEPA and environmental impact statement process was completed in 2015 over about a million acres of ground to kind of uh, set the stage for, as you said, that thinning and prescribed burning that both need to kind of happen together to get us into a, a situation in the landscape where we can have that controlled fire and, and, and the process come through the landscape in a way that doesn't damage communities and, and ecosystem services and things like that. So um, Forfry is now... Um, in about its 11th year um, and kind of wrapping up some of the planning, but uh, lots of implementation happening, um, not as much as we'd like because of the economics that the congressman mentioned. Um, but, but you know, increasing the pace for sure. Uh, I think last year we got 21,000 acres thinned across that landscape um, and some fi a good fire on the landscape as well. So. And uh, if I can, I, yeah. you know, the part of the process was we started a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. We brought the stakeholders from desperate sides of the issue together. Uh, that started out as part of the uh, Forest Health Initiative. Uh, so, and so I was on the ground floor of that whole process. As we moved forward, we saw some of the difficulties we had to overcome, both from the federal government perspective, the state government perspective, but mostly from the perspective of we had nowhere to put the timber. Uh, there was no market for it. Uh, there was no money to even if we had a market for it. And uh, the recent uh, last few years, we've been able to develop a process where now we're going to be getting 50 some million dollars a year for this region around here, the Flagstaff region, Kaibab Forest, Coconino and uh, uh, Sitgraves and a little bit of the tunnel to be able to uh, uh, address those issues in a, in a managed, meaningful way. Um, and we do still have... Uh, a lot of, of, of timber that has to go. We have to find more and more resources available to be able to, whether it's a sawmill and or exportation or more biogeneration, but whatever that is, it has to be consistent. Yeah. And, and that's part of my job is making sure that we, as we move forward, we continue to highlight that continual need. Otherwise we revert backwards and we can't keep up with the process. Gotcha. I see. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we alluded to, you know, what these things cost in here. Um, and with that, you helped ensure the passage of the new infrastructure investment and jobs act. What do you see are the biggest benefits to Arizona as far as from those investments? Well, we have money specifically identified. <clears throat> we had the, uh, forest service chief out here. He made the announcement both on the flooding issues here in Flagstaff mm -hmm. and, and some other areas within congressional district one. He acknowledged that the uh, the four fry process is now a national model, and they are using that as a model of bringing people together in a collaborative format to be able to overcome some of the thought process that people have, and that includes community and everybody else. It can't be done just by the Forest Service dictating this is the way we're going to do it. Uh, we have educated Congress over the last few years to be able to understand the process. So that's been be, become simpler, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and we're changing the regulatory environment to be able to speed up the process Great. without damaging the environment. Uh, and I think the, 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 the biggest issue is uh, that the Forest Service has recognized that whether we're changing the contractual obligations from almost one year at a time to, to 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's some, some of the newer legislation that's in there uh, to identifying clearly this interconnection between in Arizona, uh, the health of the forest and the water supply of our state. And, and that goes for any other place out in the, out in the West uh, on and on and on. 
uh, these are challenges that we are now able to start to overcome. And the 10-year Forest Service National Plan is in part based on what we're being able to accomplish here in Arizona. Gotcha, I see. Yeah, yeah and I would just add, you know, on behalf of TNC and, and AWF, you know, thanking you for the support of that because I think, um, you know, the recent funding to Four Fry and even places like the city of Prescott are really, really significant steps forward and kind of a down payment on what what we're really needing to see kind of move forward. And I'm glad to hear, you know, you, you say we can't forget, you know, this is a step forward and we got to keep moving forward because, you know, we got a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, the funding is a big part of that. And it's a big opportunity to kind of start moving forward and and build on what we do have in that collaborative fashion. So gotcha. Well, all right. For both of you, please. Uh, while unquestionably, you know, we need funding invested in this issue to get anywhere, outside of just investing money, what else can we do to restore our forests and combat issues on a, of a changing climate? Well, we can develop a workforce mm-hmm. for the uh, which we are short of, mm-hmm. uh, but we also need to to get a, a public that's educated on the issue. Correct. We had a long time of uh, of well over. 15 years that I can count, maybe even longer, of misinformation from both sides mm-hmm. coming out. And now we've started to come together a, a, in an environment where we're able to come to the table and understand that it's in, it's a joint venture process that we have to be able to acknowledge that we all have to participate in. Mm-hmm. A- and that's that means whether you're uh, on the environmental side or the uh, anti-environmental side, anti-regulation side versus somewhat uh, of ability to regulate. Uh, this, In other words, it's an ongoing dialogue. And uh, whether it's the forest, the water, or just the general carbon issues that are in the air or, or in our atmosphere, uh, we need to find ways to recognize that uh, this is a threat that is expensive if we don't understand it and, and, and invest into it. And it's also a threat to our quality of life, our, our ability to enjoy these wonderful forests and, and other uh, our, the wonderful wildlife we have all across this nation and, and, and the world, and to be able to understand that our children's future will be much better off if we get on top of it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I think the congressman makes great points there, and it all kind of revolves around economics, right? Whether it's the economics of an industry to try to deal with the biomass and the other issues we have and in doing the work or, you know, the trade-offs that the public has to recognize between these massive wildfires and the loss of recreation, the water Mm -hmm. infrastructure issues, compared to, you know, the little bit of investment we need to make comparatively. It's a big investment, but compared to what we end up spending post-wildfire in these Mm -hmm. communities um, is pretty Pretty vast and really I think that's a really great point is educating the public on what these value trade-offs really are is probably pretty important yeah that, that education piece is what I was looking for there um, you know I, I think people know our lakes are drying up people know our forests are burning but we still got to get our kids to school in the morning we still have mm-hmm. to go to work we still got to put groceries on the table and get dinner cooked um, I know it sounds ridiculous but people's minds are full um, so I, I think that education piece is extremely important if we're going to get anywhere. So let's see. All right, uh, Congressman, this is for you. Unfortunately, and despite mountains of scientific evidence, climate change has become a politically charged phrase. How do you navigate this in your work in order to reach across the aisle and be productive? Well, less so today than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that uh, that's part of the educational process within Congress and legislative bodies across the country and the the uh, ability of the public to say we want something done. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, we we have to learn. We're all Americans. We have our feelings. We have our values. uh, They're separate in many cases. Uh, There's four of us at this table right now. That doesn't mean that we all agree on any any one issue, Mm -hmm. but it means that we need to come together. And so I, I look at it as if somebody is in di- a disagreement with me and it's important public policy that we have to move forward, then I will. Sp- I and others have shown that spending time together, working on the problems, and not going out the door and telling the public, the world, because of political consequences, th- those are terrible people. Mm-hmm. That our, our thing is to come back at that same table 
and work and work and work and find that middle ground if we can. And once we find that middle ground and you find the ability to work together, it becomes much easier to do so in the future uh, as both parties or all parties at the table uh, the way Four Fry began. Coming to that table, I can guarantee you because I chaired those meetings, that first day, there I didn't think as I looked around <laughs> that table, we were never going to get there. Uh-huh. And we did because people started to share and find out 80% of what was believed by everybody at the table was an area we could work together on. And so I, I don't, uh, you know, I espouse that, uh, you know, um, in my position, and I think a lot of other uh, politicians, if you want to call us that, uh, are in the same position that our job is to listen to people and not judge them on what they have to say because they have just as much right to say it as we do. Mm-hmm. Our job is to work with people and to invest in that relationship and to try to make it work into the future because we have a lot of priorities of the country to overcome and be able to make sure that we preserve our peace and have a strong economy and a future for our children. And you have to be together to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we do. And, and I appreciate I appreciate your attitude on that. It's important and it's increasingly rare. So thank you for that. Do you, do you feel like the IIJA is kind of a, a culmination of the last 10 to 15 years of that work? I mean, it seems like Congress, as you said, is kind of starting to be educated and on board with this and that money and the, and the, the recent bills and focus on this seem to be um, kind of folks coming together a little bit more on these issues. I think the success of it will show that. I think right now there's still a, a little, oh, did we spend too much? Did we spend too little? Did we do this? Success is going to be the determinant there. And I, I don't see how in the end when all the metrics are brought together that you don't find success. Uh, and whether whether it's with what we were talking about just a second ago, the forest and stuff, or whether it's uh, a bridge built somewhere or a highway improved or an airport or the competitiveness of America improving against our, 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 our economic and other types of adversaries out there, uh, we, we have an ability to, to be able to show the American people that investment in the future works, and it works not only for uh, them, but the future of our country and our, our children. All right. Well, Travis, uh, to build on that previous question, the, the partisan times that we live in reach far out of the political spectrum and into the general populace. How do we change the narrative on climate change in our day-to-day lives with our friends, families, and neighbors? That's a really, really good and tough question. Um, I'd love to hear the, the congressman's thoughts too, but I, you know, I think as we start to see these changes, um, occur more in our daily lives around, um, you know, whether it's just, you know, more increased hot springs, fires, you know, in, in, in the case of what we've seen in Flagstaff this spring, fires a lot earlier than we're used to um, as it starts to affect the agricultural systems, mm-hmm. the water, I think in Arizona, we've dealt with that for a long time. Um, and, and really it's, it's coming to a head. And I think as it does, folks are going to see it more. And I think that's, we need to talk about those issues and, and, and whether, you know, you call it climate change or something else. I mm-hmm. think it really can, um, embed itself in reality because like you said, you know, we're getting up every day and taking our kids to school. And sometimes until it really starts to affect some of those things, I think it's hard to get traction for people to think about it as a much bigger problem, yeah. but, uh, you know, food scarcity, water scarcity, lack of forest to recreate in because they're, you know, they're charred and, and burned, I think will at least give us a, a place to start that conversation a little bit more broadly. But those are some of the things yeah. I think about anyways. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. So I guess this is for you, Congressman, if you will. While building healthier and more resilient forest is certainly a piece of the puzzle. And, you know, I guess I should say that this this question is really more of a, an entire subject in itself. But but I, I, we can't I feel like we can't talk about this without throwing this in here as well. So so if you will, well, if you will, please um, let me start again. While building healthier and more resilient forests is certainly a piece of the puzzle. We're still faced with a historic drought con- uh, with a historic drought um, that could potentially have disastrous effects on the West. Can you talk a bit about some of the solutions being explored to combat potential water shortages? Well, I think uh, when uh, the, you know the 
uh, different uh, levels of, of uh, c conservation that's going to be needed on the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to work together. Uh, I wrote a letter to the, uh, at, uh, the Bureau of Reclamation the other day to say, okay, Arizona's doing this, this, and this, and they are. Uh, I want to see more done out of California. Mm -hmm. And I know the, you know the law of the river, and we go first anyway on this. Yeah. But that doesn't mean cumulatively that we're going to be successful even for California. Mm -hmm. So we have to find ways for California and Nevada gets only three hundred thousand acres a year feet a year. So that that's, but we have to get look up to Colorado and other environments and say it's time to come together. Not change maybe the law of the river, but the the whole spectrum of what conservation will will do as part of the equation. I I, I had a bill that uh, put in uh, uh, for Arizona. Uh, first conservation plan, first statewide drought management plan, and a first statewide uh, uh, water plan. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to think in those ways out into the future, always. We can't look back, say, and say, well, as soon as this is over with, everything is going to be fine. That is not how this all no, works. Unfortunately. And no. it works through not trying to separate us at the table and start to create, well, Colorado wants to keep more of its water, and I, I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they're a growing state also. But we have to understand that to, in order to address that, whether it's that or the Gila River or, or uh, the Verde River, whatever that is, or the forest or, or a multitude of other issues, we have to find a way to, to make sure that we look at the longer-term goal as part of the solution, not just the short-term, I got out of this crisis, now what do I do? It's, yeah. I got out of this crisis. I have learned from what we've done wrong in the past, and I'm going to change my view of how we address the future. Yeah, I see. I had attended, uh, off script here, I had attended a Teletown Hall um, that you were part of just, oh, just a few weeks back, really. And uh, I thought there were some really interesting questions that I, I hadn't even taken thought was were taken seriously, like rain seeding, um, desalination. Um, sounds like desalination might be an actual thing that we're, we're going to look forward to in the future. Um, rain seeding, well, I was happy to hear that most everyone was in agreement that that would have pretty terrible um, political. Uh, I, I don't know about political. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I know about the competition then. You took my water. Right. Uh, yeah. And if that's political, that and, and probably is one of the biggest political issues we have. We see that. With uh, within our state internally, you know, mm -hmm. don't you dare take uh, that right. water. It's mine. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a futuristic, strange thing to even think about. But yeah, do you do you think the general public connects things like the forest fires we're seeing and the water issues we're having? Do you think that's part of the the climate change discussion and education? Or I think the overall view is that there's a profound impact. You know, back in uh, about 2005, 2006, we worked with the Bureau of Reclamation to do, do put insert modeling within their uh, Colorado River model to take in climate change as one of the factors. And they found out that 9% of the water was uh, being evaporated uh, or some other mechanism uh, other than that what they had in the model. Now it's up above 15%. Uh, there is a direct correlation between that and, and healthy forests. And because we just saw that when, when there was, we saw they projected a runoff of so much for the Colorado River, and then we're surprised when it didn't happen. It didn't happen because the, 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 the amount of water that was taken into the ground, partially, was, was, was a reason why it didn't ever, didn't ever make it to the river. And so that, that, that connection is all over the place. And that's why it's, uh, it's difficult for somebody to say, well, that's not my problem. Well, it is our problem collectively. And if we don't Absolutely. address it collectively, it's going to continue to mm -hmm. be that way. And we're all going to suffer because we do want to recreate in these locations. We do want water. We do, don't want our property values to go down. Uh, we want our children to have a great future. And we, we have to work together to do that. Yeah, and speaking of children, it feels like at least my perception is that younger generations aren't maybe 
so diametrically opposed about things like climate change and water issues. And, and if that's true, how do, we, how do we bring those folks into the political spectrum and the, the will of the public more to kind of push us forward with things like climate change and water issues? I just came from a, over the NAU, a, a group of 70 students, high school students, a very diverse group. And I can tell you that your sentiment you just brought forward on climate change was universal. And we, we had kids from Winslow and Flagstaff and Williams and Navajo and Hopi, and, and they're all saying, we need something done. We better listen to the future uh, because they're, they're going to be our leaders in the future also. And if, if they don't get it now, then our path forward is going to be that much more difficult. That's yeah. great to hear. Hopefully. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said uh, before in, in other ways that change advances generationally rather than changing minds. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully this next next batch of citizens coming up here are on board and, and can get some work done. Need to get some of those young start anyway. Get those young people into politics, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leadership anyways. Leadership. All right. Well, I've got one more question before we go for both of you. But before I move on to that, what have we left out here? What, what are do we have any important points that we've missed here regarding climate or forest? I think there's a, a lot of a lot of things in climate that we worry about what others are doing that we shouldn't be leading as much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, China uh, right now, Germany's going to be opening up more coal generation plants because of lack of, uh, of we have to understand that situation that they're they're going to eventually turn around and we're going to be able to have that natural gas for them or that China is continuing to build brand new plants. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't mean that we don't take a position that for our citizens and for our country and for our economy, we have to do the right thing also. Correct. And if they want to do go down that path, let us lead the rest of the world on the right path and allow their citizens to become much more involved in their government. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you right now, China is going to be a problem adversarially across a broad range of issues in the coming few decades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good point and and I hear that a, a lot from people who are kind of, you know, lay people who maybe don't fall, you know, have an opportunity to follow the science, you know. Well, you know, it do, doesn't make a difference if we do anything and and I, you know, I was raised by, you know, older generations that, you know, America led Right. Didn't didn't just say, oh, if we if we don't if we do something, it's not going to make a difference. And, and I'm not sure there's historically that's very accurate, because I think when when the United States steps up and leads, we actually see people follow eventually. And, and I think that would be the same in all these issues that the congressman just kind of kind of made examples out of. And and so, you know, understanding, you know, when I was growing up, when when somebody did something bad and, you know, your parents always told you, you know, just because they do it doesn't mean you need to be doing it, mm -hmm. too. And I think we need to follow that example and and kind of set the stage. And, and, you know, in in forest issues, we can we can do a lot of things to kind of protect forests, to continue to sequester carbon. There's a lot of natural climate solution potential in, in uh, particularly the United States and North America because we have protected so many public lands. Um, but really, you know, to solve climate change, it's a lot of the energy and the other things that really are going to turn the ship in the right direction. Yep. Um, but in the meantime, we really do need to, you know, as a land manager and a scientist and somebody who focuses on natural resources, that's the only tool we've got in our toolboxes to kind of try to help those forests stay forests mm -hmm. uh, for as long as we can and continue to sequester that carbon. But I think it's a societal issue broader than that, that if we're going to solve water, and wildfire issues, we're going to have to really focus on energy development and how we lead the world into that. So, yeah, well said. All right. Before we go, uh, if you could, and this, this is both of you, if you don't mind, if you could leave our listeners with just one thing that they can do to help with forest health, water, or more broadly climate change, what would it be? Use them wisely mm -hmm. uh, and make sure you bring, if you're a family, Bring your family to the forest. Bring them f to the rivers. Yes. Bring them and get them out there with you in the environment where they can go hunting if they want. And, 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 and enjoy the wonders of America's forests and waters because uh, we're, we're a, a, a society that thrives on the ability to be able to recreate. 
Yep. And, and in order to do that, we have to preserve the, that, not just for climate change and the, their children's futures, but for today, to be able to enjoy the life that we have come to, uh, as a way, a part of our life is about that. And we just have to re recognize the value within that, each and every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. How do they say it? Uh, people, people love what they know and protect what they love. So, so getting those kids out there is important. Hell, I had little kids just so I could have little partners to drag around in the woods with me. So uh, I, I do my part there, but it's purely selfish. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I very much encourage folks to get out there and enjoy these, these wonderful public lands we have here in Arizona. Yeah. And I, I would second that. I think, you know, you've got to start by loving it and, and the next generation, you know, keeping them valuing the outdoors and the, and the natural resources that we have. And then, you know, beyond that, I get, you know, get involved. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even if it's just simply writing folks like the congressman or others that represent you and telling them how important those issues are to you. Um, that stuff, you know, if enough people do, it really does make a difference. And, yeah. and, and when you see progress and success, you know, also writing those folks and saying, look, you know, we're really happy about what we're seeing. Yeah, and continue thank yous to are important. Yeah. Just as important as the, the complaining and, um, you know, I, social media these days, I think a lot of people, it's easy to just post something and, and complain about something. And, and a lot of people are starting to realize that they need to, to do something a little bit more proactive about the situation mm -hmm. if they really do care about it. So, yeah. Well, Travis, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the work you do with the Nature Conservancy and you're volunteering for the Arizona Wildlife Federation and Congressman. Um, boy, I just want to ask you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, they're there are not enough reasonable, moderate, educated voices out there like yours. Um, and my God, it's important. So so please keep at it. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. And um, you keep doing what you're doing and, and make, making sure that uh, people continue to enjoy the wonders uh, of America. Well, thanks. Yeah. That, that's easy work for me. I, I enjoy yeah. it. So thank you so much for your time. I know that it's valuable um, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Congressman. Thanks, All right, Michael. gentlemen. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, you know, like I mentioned, it's an important one. You know, th things are changing. Um, they're changing rapidly and, and they're not changing for the better. So we need to get on top of this and do what we can to mitigate these issues um, and the severity of these fires. They're not going anywhere, unfortunately. So with that, you know, I want to thank Travis uh, from the Nature Conservancy. The Nature Conservancy does fantastic work. They're a moderate science-based organization. Um, that have been around a long time and, and done a lot of good things for, for all of us who enjoy the outdoors. And of course, Congressman Tom O'Halloran. Not all politicians are cut from the same cloth as the congressman. Um, this, this is the kind of guy we need. Um, he is always on the right side of conservation issues. Um, so get out there and please throw your support beside, behind Congressman Tom O'Halloran because he's, he's an exceptional man and he's out, out to do things. Uh, for the betterment of all of us and uh, and where we live. So thanks again, and we will look forward to seeing you again in a couple weeks. In the meantime, don't hesitate to reach out to me at podcast at azwildlife.org. And please don't hesitate to rate our show and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. Bye.